Welcome to Talking to Humans. My name is Vicki Deemer, and we are doing a special edition podcast. Uh, the guests are Darcy Wilcoxon and her son, Jacob Wilcoxon. Hi. Hi. Welcome, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm so excited to have you. We are going to just be talking about a ton of stuff. Your story. Oh, yeah. um, I think this is, is going to be uh, really worthwhile for a lot of people to, to hear and learn from and to glean from. So, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having yeah. us. Yeah. You're great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's just jump in. And um, how about you guys give us a backstory to um, to who you guys are and, yeah. and what your story is, um, either individually and just as mother, son, parent, child? Yeah. Totally. So, I'll just start with a little uh, mini biography. I'm... Married to Jeffrey Wilcoxon, and we have four kids. Our oldest is Sean, and then Jacob here is our second, and then we have a daughter named Kira, and our youngest son is Ryan. And currently, they range in age from 23 to 17. Nice. Yeah, and I, uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm the second uh, of those uh, four kids. Um, yeah, and so I guess to jump into the story here, um, I think kind of where the story starts for me um, is in sixth grade. Um, yeah, uh, sixth grade was kind of um, <laughs> the way I like to um, say. It. I mean, it's. I mean, I say it in a humorous way. It's not very humorous, um, but I like to say it's kind of when I realized that the world didn't like me and I didn't like me either. Mm. It's 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 the moment in my life where I really began to deal with a lot of insecurity. Um, and kind of when I started to feel, um, you know, more depressed, have, uh, some symptoms of anxiety. And this is when I was introduced, um, to the idea, um, of, uh, non-suicidal self-injury, which, uh, uh, cutting, um, is what I, um, uh, what I started practicing. I was I was introduced to it by uh, by a friend. Uh, basically, the conversation you know was, you know, I'm feeling this way, and um, she was like, "Well, this is what I do when I'm feeling, mm. you know, sad and upset and and um, uh, and mad at myself." And so I kind of uh, took that um, uh, took that behavior um, and adapted it into my own life, um, and that was kind of the first time uh, when my depression, anxiety, my insecurity, um, and, uh, all that started to kind of manifest itself. Can, can I ask a, a question? You said, Absolutely. um, it was about sixth grade. You came to the point where you realized the world didn't like you and you didn't like yourself either. Yeah. What was happening that you were coming to that conclusion that the world didn't like you? Yeah. Um, you know, I think I was becoming aware, um, of my, my struggle to make friends um, and also kind of coming up against, um, some bullying, you mm. know, in sixth grade, you know, th this was the first, uh, time, at least where I can remember, um, being, you know, called fat or ugly, um, being kind of, uh, being sort of treated as, you know, um, an outcast, that kind of thing. Um, th that's the first time that I remember feeling unliked mm. um and I sort of absorbed that and it, it was not that 
I wasn't liked. It was that I was unlikable mm. um, was how I began to what, feel. What is the distinction between it? Wasn't that you just weren't liked, but you were unlikable. Yeah. Yeah. I think the distinction there um, is that um, I had taken kind of outside criticism and I really began to feel it internally mm -hmm. um, because I sort of began to reflect and it was, um, I took their criticisms and I began to agree with them. Mm. You know, I, you know, looked in the mirror. I was like, oh, I do feel fat. I do feel ugly. Um, you know, uh, so that, yeah, that's when I was like, oh, maybe they're right. Mm. So, so hearing a criticism and, and agreeing with it, mm -hmm. um, so sort of evaluating it to, to some degree, but then, um, in, internalizing it, personalizing it and being like, this is, this is the truth. Absolutely. Um, and it led to, um, hard negative feelings, Absolutely. Like dark, dark emotions, sadness, mm -hmm. depression, anxiety, Absolutely. Um, and it almost sounds like hopelessness. Like, yeah. What if I'm if I'm I'm unlikable as a person? Mm -hmm. Um, where does where does that lead? So then, need needing something to do with the, these emotions. Absolutely. And that led to the oh, I could. I could do, cut. Cut. Yeah. Do self injury. Yeah. Um. It, and 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 that began to develop uh, more um, as middle school. Um, you know, seventh and eighth grade came on and, uh, you know, um, I think what it was, was I was having, you know, a lot of also shame over all of these mm. things. And I didn't really feel like I could come to my parents about it or really anybody about it. So I just kind of, uh, shoved it into a corner of my mind and I was like, I'm not going to let anyone into this. It's too shameful. It's too vulnerable. So wanting, wanting to kind of hide in that there's shame and you didn't feel like you could go to your parents. Mm -hmm. So I want to kind of ask your mom a few questions during this time. So that sixth grade year plus, um, did, did you notice anything Were were you aware of that? He was feeling sad, depressed, angry, or cutting. No. And I knew that there that he was struggling socially. Of course, sixth grade to eighth grade is not known for social um, kindness. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's not. Jacob's not a sports guy. No. Um, he doesn't. Ha he doesn't. He has doesn't have a hobby where he would find that kind of group. Sure. To, um, and, and even though he is very likable, mm -hmm. you know, from our standpoint, mm -hmm. um, he often used humor to mm -hmm. kind of win the, win the crowd. Yeah. Um, and he was very much into drama mm -hmm. and uh, loved drama class um, yeah. and acting. And so I think in that mindset at that time, we kind of attributed a lot of that just to his personality mm -hmm. and the um, kind of that drama of needing something that we didn't even understand at the time. Sure. And so it wasn't so much that we didn't see something. We were just attributing it more to mm. one junior high to 
just kind of personality yeah. differences. And he just didn't get along with a lot of people that would be popular at the time or sure. um, have those, those, that group of people to relate to. Yeah. Jacob, why, why did you feel like you couldn't go to your parents? Yeah. Um, I think when I, when I was younger, um, I had, you know, a very, a, a, a very, um, uh, uh, expressive emotional experience. Um, and, um, the rest of my family does not have yeah. um, as much of <laughs> this is very an true. expressive emotional can, experience. Can you can you explain that? What does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. So um, both both in terms of highs and lows um, of um, kind of uh, the outward expressions of um, uh, of emotion. My my mom and dad and uh, my brother, to a lesser extent, my sister, but my younger brother as well. Um, it's um, uh, it's far more subdued, um, and especially with the lows of um, um, uh, of emotional experience, the negatives, mm-hmm. it's more of an attitude of we keep this inside. Um, this is our problem to deal with, and so my externalization mm. of that, my bringing that into the kind of um, into the social sphere of the family, mm-hmm. was very. Uh, I think alien mm-hmm. um, to the way that uh, my mom and dad deal with emotions. So in some ways you were breaking an unspoken rule. I don't yeah. know if it's a way to say it that way, but mm-hmm. but there's this rule we, we don't externalize or if we do it, maybe it's a little bit more controlled or it looks like this, but keep, keep it inside. So it was kind of maybe more unspoken. Well, in the, the way our family operated at the time and kind of the, really the way our family, my family growing up operated was the idea if you're going to be that dramatic in the way, if you're crying, um, if you're throwing a fit, if you're expressing those kind types of emotions, it was, you need to go to your room until you can calm down and then we can talk about it. So there was this sending away, mm. um, behavior, and expecting them to figure out how to wow. deal yeah. with those emotions on their own. And then when, as we would have said at the time, when you are rational again, then yeah. you may come back and talk about it. So there's this sense, like you're being, there's an assessment that it's overdramatic. Yes. That, it, that it's too much. So there's yeah. this assessment, it's too much. And the assessment is a, it's a negative assessment. Mm-hmm. So we're going to send you away Um and you figure out how to calm down. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you do that. You kind of, and when you can come back and be rational and not over dramatic, then, then we'll talk. Yes. I think a lot of, um, the way I'm kind of paraphrasing, it, it makes it kind of sound more, I don't know, but um, I think that's probably a way, the way a lot of families function. Yeah. Timeout. Like, yeah. I mean, we call them timeouts. You yeah. Need time to take out, a timeout. Like, you, you need to go away. Um, one problem or um, obstacle I see to that is now the child is expected to regulate themselves and what if they need help yes and and so it's kind of like a you go away and do this by yourself versus how can can we help um so Jacob you are experiencing like you're being over dramatic not you weren't necessarily being over dramatic (laughs) yeah yeah. that's how we felt at the time yeah Yeah. they they felt like you're being over dramatic you Mm -hmm. were 
um, externalizing your emotion. Mm-hmm. And then you, you kind of saw, oh, you do that. You get, I don't know, sent to the room until you can, yeah. you know. So there is a healthy part to being able to do that, yeah. to, to being able to, like, regulate mm-hmm. emotions. Um, but I think sometimes we, we skip that. Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, I think what it was is um, the the sending away of it felt very shaming to me. Yeah. And so, and I, and mm. and you know, just a you know a thing. I, I mean, I'm better at it now, obviously. Um, but something that is difficult for me is, um, yeah, I don't. I, I had a lot of trouble figuring out how yeah. to regulate my emotions, which is which is why I turned to things like yeah. cutting mm-hmm. or, um, you know, later yeah. like overeating a ton. Um, there's, you know, a myriad of, you know, of ways to regulate one's emotions that are, mm-hmm. you know, um, unsupportive, unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, you know, being sent away, I felt like my emotions were being mishandled. And mm-hmm. I felt like it was kind of even shameful for me to have those yeah. emotions. So it was, I'm going to keep this inside. Mm. I'm going to shove this into the corner. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let them in. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of, of shame. One, um, the experience of maybe like the bullying and, mm. and all that, then feeling unlikable and then having emotions and expressing them externally mm. um, and then being sent. To, so it kind of sounds like shame was just... All over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I once uh, uh, you know described it as like this is the point when shame became my operating principle. Mm, wow. Where you know most actions were evaluated through the lens of shame. Mm. Is this going to feel shaming to me? Then I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, which you know as as life developed, um, you know junior high high school. You know, as I started, you know, struggling with my my sexuality and as, you know, puberty began to, um, you know, kind of uh, magnify some of my problems with undiagnosed mental illness at the time, um, those those internal processes became far more complex. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I felt like, oh, this is even more shaming. I cannot bring if they if they if they. Uh, you know, if, if, if I felt shamed with the small stuff yeah, and as it grows bigger and more complex, you know, then I, I, I really can't take this to them. Yeah. And so it just became a furthering of the pushing this down. I'm not going to tell anyone, which of course manifested itself. Yeah. yeah. So like it, it is, it's there. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you're trying to, to push it down, kind of put it maybe in this box over here, yeah. but it didn't disappear and, and then it kind of became your operating system, shame. Mm-hmm. Like that's this doing this would bring. Will that bring shame or not? Yeah. And how did you um, live? Yeah, it just feels like this existence of of shame. Mm-hmm. And so you had had to do something with that. So there there was cutting. Mm-hmm. Then it led. Would you say that that led to the the um, struggle with sexuality or? I don't, I don't really know the timeline with, um, the, um, I, 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 I don't really know a, a specific timeline of my, my difficulties with sexuality. I think it began in elementary school. That's the kind of the first time when I, uh, began to have kind of more, um, you know, I wasn't going through puberty yet, so it wasn't sexualized, but kind of more, um, higher attachments to, um, 
to male peers. Mm -hmm. And so as that developed in puberty into, you know, kind of more sexualized feelings um, and, and, and already kind of the, the more bullying comments that I'd received about my own masculinity Mm -hmm. um, and um, some of the difficulties at home with, you know, being a man, um, it was like, okay, I have to, I have to keep this down. I have to not bring this. And so that manifested itself in, in cutting, um, you know, you know, as kind of a punishment sort of a thing. Mm. Um, and then there was also, um, you know, kind of overeating, sort of trying to regulate my emotions that way. Um, and so, so the, the cutting served the purpose of, did you say punishment? Punishment. Yeah. So you're going to punish yourself through that. That was the purpose of the cutting. Yeah. And then the overeating was for the purpose of comfort for the feelings or yeah, I think it, it, it was more of a numbing feeling. Numbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, f- f- from my understanding, um, you know, a lot of kind of self harm, um, ha- has sort of like three, um, three, uh, kind of motives behind it. You have the sort of the punishment feeling, you have the, um, the numbing feeling, but then also kind of the more, um, like euphoric positive mm. feeling mm-hmm. um, behind it. And so I think the sometimes the eating served two of those. It was the kind of the sort of the more euphoric, mm-hmm. you know, positive, um, this tastes really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and then also kind of the more numbing um, feeling. And then, you know, numbing also came with, you know, with the advent of, you know, technology, just hours and hours sure. of, of media. Mm-hmm. How did, how did, so here's this struggle happening kind of over these years. How did it manifest um, or play out in the family dynamic and parent-child relationship? Um, do you mean, when did we become aware? Yeah. When did you, when did you become aware? And then kind of what were those dynamics? How did you address it? Try to address it? What did things get worse? What, what happened better? Well, there was definitely the ups and downs, things that we didn't understand, um, about, um, if he would get in trouble at school or get, you know, trouble with friends that sort of thing. But the way we really came to a level of knowing how kind of the seriousness um, or the depth of it was because Jacob, and he can speak to this, talking to a friend Mm -hmm. um, about suicide, Mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. And that friend, praise the Lord, told his mom, Mm. um, passed on that concern to her, and she was a good friend of mine. She called me on the phone one night and said, hey, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but this is what um, Jacob told um, my son. And that alerted us to this issue. So then we were able to bring Jacob kind of out of his room at that time because it was it was at night, yeah. kind of out of his room. and was like, hey, buddy, we need to talk about this. We, you know, where is this coming from, you know? And that was just the tip of a very yeah. large iceberg yeah. that we still had a lot of things to, to go through yet. But that's kind of what started us on the, the trajectory of figuring out all that was going on. Yeah. And, and I think the, the instinct 
um, to to uh, trying to address these problems was if we can talk it out, then it will be okay. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that was kind of our okay. thing. So we'll just have a conversation and things will get better. Yeah, yeah if the, we can the, have this rational again, right? A rational, rational. conversation. Um, and now we didn't do it as a whole family. Um, I've kind of always grown up very sensitive to what other people know and see about you. And so we actually went to a park mm-hmm. and um, we just kind of talked and we were just asking questions. And it was a really good conversation, as it I was, remember, yeah. just because it was, um, I felt like you were open and mm-hmm. we were just wanting to listen. Mm. But at the same time, there was this, as long as we can keep this a rational conversation about your issues, then we can kind of get to the bottom of it. We, we'll work through it. And then and you be should over. be fine. Yeah. Yeah. You should be fine. Yeah. Um, is there anything else to the backstory that you think our listeners would benefit from knowing? I mean, well, so after that conversation... Um, that was around freshman year of high school is when that is when that uh, conversation happened. And, um, you know, high school became, you know, sort of a back and forth of the times when I would be vulnerable with you guys and then when I wouldn't be. And so we just kind of had this progression of back and forth, back and forth. Um, but then um, just some, you know, personal issues at school sort of um, resulted in a couple of suicide attempts. Um there were two main ones, um, and yeah, the second one landed me in a in, in a behavioral um, uh, institute uh, for about a week, um, and uh, yeah, I was uh, you know I I finished high school online, um, and I think that was probably the um, in the story of my of my you know uh, journey with mental illness and these kinds of struggles that was the um that was the darkest mm. point um years later my freshman year of of college i had to check myself into you know behavioral um uh, institute again for about a week um that that wasn't because of a suicide attempt it was just of you know thoughts of suicide that was just kind of more of a realization of okay the work is not done um mm. but that attempt in junior year of high school is was really the the darkest point mm. of it wow and so since then it's just been a journey um well thank you thank you for sharing thank you yeah. for um being so open with with me and the listeners we really mm. appreciate that um the the going into the the behavioral health hospital was that another experience of shame or was that um this is just what needs to happen what Kind of how did you experience or interpret that happening? Yeah, I think, um, thankfully, it wasn't as much of a shaming experience because I, um, um, because my parents were able to have a, a talk with the administrators of my high school and I was pulled out of high school for mm-hmm. the rest of my junior year. Um, and so I think it would have been if I had gone into the behavioral health institute and then just straight back into school. Mm, Um, uh, but yeah, I think going, uh, my parents at that time, I just remember, um, just took a very caring, um, sensitive approach to my emotions, understandably. Um, and so 
um, it did not feel as shaming. Mm. It felt more of kind of um, protective. Nice. Okay. And then, um, Darcy, for, for you guys, what was your experience? What were you you and Jeffrey going through as is that you have a son that, that attempted suicide and is going into the hospital. Yeah. How were, how were you processing, experiencing what was happening with you? Yeah. Well, we'll back up to the first suicide attempt. Um, and I honestly, my very first reaction, um, was I, I was angry. Um, again, there was just this upset in my, um, what I thought the way family should operate, you know, kind of what I expected was not happening. And, um, so I was upset and, um, the fact that we had to call, um, 911, um, when he, I, at the time, mind you, felt like he was being overly dramatic Mm. about his situation. Um, which is very, uh, if I let it, can be very guilt-inducing now mm-hmm. just because that, mm. because those were my feelings. <laughs> mm. but, um, but then he was given medication. We got him into, um, you know, got him what we thought was a good medication routine. And so then, again, there was just this, my internal need for everything to be peaceful. Um, and so... I thought, and he was, seemed like doing better. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it happened again, I wasn't, wasn't mad. I was completely overwhelmed Mm. because there was this, I thought things were better. Mm. And I think sometimes when we think something is going better and then it gets, the rug gets pulled out from under Mm. you again, it throws you off and Thankfully, right? Thankfully, it threw me Mm. off because at that point it was, wow, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I need to do something. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's really what led me to contact a friend um, who is a counselor. And I'm like, what do I, I need to read something. Mm. I mean, I, I had, I had read all sorts of parenting books when the kids were young Um, and so I had kind of felt like I knew what I was doing, um, (laughs) and not so much. So then I'm like, I, I need, what do I need to know? What do I need to read? Um, and so she gave me three books. Two weeks later, I was done with all three and God really put in, put us kind of in that microwave of Mm. like, let's change. And as a parent saying, it's my responsibility to parent him well, not his responsibility to be the best child mm. um, the, the, under, under my parenting. Yeah. Th- that's a paradigm shift. Yes. Yeah. Um, that Completely. huge. C- can you say that one more time? It's my, par- it's my job as a parent mm-hmm. to parent him the way he needs to be parented for, for him, not his responsibility to be parent like to be the best child mm-hmm. under whatever parenting I've chosen yeah um and kind, kind of what I'm hearing is in in this situation it would be easy to be like okay um Jacob this is Jacob's issue his problem let's go and get that fixed but really kind of what I'm hearing is um you were as a mom and maybe even just Jeffrey too were, were you were also bringing something into the the dynamic and the relational dynamic that was that was playing a, a part and contributing 
Yeah, that's what I had learned um, mainly with the one book um, called The Connected Child. That's the main, one of the main things I learned was that what I brought to the table as a parent from my upbringing, from Jeffrey's upbringing, mm -hmm. what we brought to the table as parents wasn't helpful mm -hmm. for him. Now, and just because the other three kids responded a little bit better mm -hmm. doesn't even mean it was healthy for them either. Wow, that that's that's significant because it'd be easy to be like, oh, like the other kids are responding well. So I'm getting one, a seventy five percent. I'm getting seventy five percent here. So yeah. so it can't be me because they're so it has to be there's something something it has to be you. It has right. to be him. So right. they're like let, let's get this figured out. Which that that mindset or approach seems like it would add did you did you feel that way, Jacob? And yeah, I mean, I I often felt um, throughout you know, kind of the entirety of my childhood that I couldn't get with the program. Mm. Um, my my siblings, <laughs> I, I I remember saying this exact thing. All of my siblings are able to kind of get with the program. Mm. They're able to, um, you know they're able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps toe the line yeah toe the line they're they, you know you know they're able to um handle themselves and i just couldn't and it was so maddening and disheartening for me and and and, and that also added to the to the shame of it all yeah. was but i couldn't do it there's something about inherently with you specifically there's something wrong and yeah. so all these kind of things it seems to me are adding to the narrative and the experience of, of shame, yeah. affirming your narrative that like the world doesn't like me and I don't like me too. Totally. And in fact, even in, in my family unit, mm -hmm. I'm some sort of an outcast. I'm different yeah. and the difference is bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so then now you're on your parenting journey and like yeah. you're devouring, you're like, I need help. And you're devouring, um, books, education, you reach out for help for you. So now you are on a, a learning personal growth path um, that, that's a little bit separate from Jacob's. Yeah. And yeah, kind of walk us through kind of like the trajectory going, going forward. What did that look like? What did you each learn personally? How did you change the way that you related? I do think with that second, when he was in the behavioral health facility, um, we did have a medication change, yep. um, which was helpful, mm -hmm. um, more so than what he was on before. And so that, I think, allowed, when I was learning different skills as a parent, um, so in, instead of that kind of the idea that we talked about before about the timeout, sending away mm -hmm. there was this i'm actually going to move closer to you mm. i'm going to move in wow. and not just even in a abstract relational way but physically so if we were having an argument then there was a you know if he wanted to go to his room then i remember one time saying um and because people do need to remove themselves sometimes yeah. and there is a yeah. level at which sometimes yeah. it's like i need some of my space. Yeah. So I remember saying, that's fine. You can go there, but I'm going to come in and check on you in 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And there's just, and so then of course, 10 minutes later I go in and then we, but that just even verbalizing that, yes, you can do that, but I'm going to come check on you in 10 minutes says I'm for you. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I care about you. 
I'm not going to leave you on your own. And so there's, and granted, he was also a teenager. So there's some differences than maybe how you would do that if a child was five. Sure. But um, (laughs) there was a consistency on our part of, we're not leaving you alone, so to speak. We're going to pull you in closer because we need to know you. And we want you to know now that you can trust us, mm. that we are trustworthy. We can we can handle your emotions, mm. um, which was a huge learning experience. And we didn't always do it right. There were times oh, yeah. when we completely messed that up. But we also took a stance of, we actually, right in the beginning, when I after I read the book and we're learning these things, we actually went to Jacob, both of us, Jeff and I, and um, apologized oh. and said, look, we have completely messed this up as parents. Wow. We have not done a good job parenting you. Mm. Um, you specifically with, you know, what the things that you need. And um, we're sorry. Wow. And we're committing to do a better job, but we're going to need your input. We're going to mm. need your feedback. Wow. If we're not doing it right, we're going to need you to help us out. Wow. This needs to be a two-way street, not just a I say you do um, mm-hmm. atmosphere. So you had to come to... Uh, personal self-awareness that that you weren't handling it in the best way for Jacob yeah and and that involved a a conversation of acknowledgement even to Jacob and and an apology and how did you experience that Jacob that conversation that was a tough one that was a tough one um it (laughs) I mean hearing hearing your parents apologize for something um is both you know both a positive and a negative experience um because there's the there's the there's the positive of you know they're they're drawing nearer to Mm. me and that and that's something i always craved and wanted as a kid and felt like i didn't i i I couldn't get Mm. and so there was that aspect of it um but then there was also the negative of I like, I don't know if I can trust you, you oh. know, and, th- mm-hmm. and, that, and that was a part of my journey. You know, my, mm-hmm. you know, my mom and dad were on this journey of drawing nearer to me. Mm-hmm. And I was on my own journey of, I also need to draw nearer to them. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're, if they're saying that I can trust them, then I need to start telling them things. Oh. I need to start telling them when I am really not doing well. You know, I need to start telling them about some of the issues that I faced. And, you know, sometimes I told my parents, you know, embarrassing things that made me feel, you know, vulnerable um, and scared about how they were going to react. Um, Yeah. And sometimes it didn't always go the way that I Mm. had envisioned it. Um, But something that I really admired about my parents at that time, um, you know, and, and still today um, is that even when it didn't go right, there was an attitude of we're trying yeah, and we are, we are so committed to making this relationship that works in a loving, caring way. Wow. That's, that's huge. So one, there was an acknowledgement that there wasn't trust. Mm-hmm. And I, I think really as, as parents, we don't always think about like, do my child, does my child or children trust me? Um, maybe we just think that it's just implicitly there, but an acknowledgement that for some reason it wasn't there. And it sounds like the one reason it wasn't there was this sent emotions, 
without sending away and being like, there's an awareness now that that wasn't helpful. The way that um, that was handled essentially broke trust. Mm -hmm. And now there's this, we want to rebuild it. And we're going to approach you differently. We're going to, um, we're going to try to do things differently and we're not, nobody's expecting perfection. Right. And so now there's this, um, new journey of trust. Um, I'm going to kind of, uh, wrap it up for the moment. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're going to come back for a second, um, a second session that will kind of uh, explore that journey of trust. All right. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, wow. So we had, the last time we talked, we had this conversation um, about your backstory. Mm -hmm. And um, really, I think for people to understand this this conversation going forward, we're going to be talking about a journey of trust. You're going to have to listen to to how we got here to yes. this point. So, <laughs> yeah. you, if you're just jumping in now, um, listen to the to the first one. But I'm with uh, Darcy Wilcoxon and her son Jacob, mm -hmm. and um, they have been on on a long journey. And um, so we're getting to hear what happened, how they got there, and um, so we kind of ended the last conversation. Um, Darcy and her husband Jeffrey had apologized to you, Jacob, about mm. kind of just the way that um, that they had parented and that they were committed to doing things differently. And now it's like, okay, if I'm going to trust them, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm, all, you also were going to have to be doing something different. Yeah, and not perfection. So let's kind of go in that that direction. What, yeah, kind of bring us along. What happened? How did that look? What were the ups and downs, high points, low points? Well, I think a main um, a main acknowledgement that had to be made um, was um, <laughs> I, I, I would I would have these kind of arguments with my parents, and at the end of them, I'd be like, "You don't love me," um, or something like that. And then my dad would say, "Of course, we love you. You know, we clothe you. We, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know." You know, we care for you. We feed you these kinds of things. We're your parents. We're, we, mm. Yeah, yeah. Right. That, that was, that was, it that should was, be a given. Th yeah, that right. was always a thing. Yeah, we're your parents. And then, um, you know, or or um, I don't trust you guys. And it was like, well, you know, of course you trust us. You know, it's, you know, uh, how, how, you know how could you not trust us? We clothe you. We feed mm. you. These kinds of things. And I think there was, an, there had to be an acknowledgement made of, um, I didn't feel like I could trust them and I didn't feel like I was loved by them. Mm. Um, and I think there was an acknowledgement on my parents end of um, they felt like they were trustworthy mm -hmm. and they felt like they were loving me in the ways that I needed. Mm. Um, and that um, both of us, uh, both I and my parents needed to try to mend that of I needed to start trusting them and I needed to start, you know, putting faith, a little bit more faith in my parents that they do love me, um, but that they also needed to, um, you know, start kind of earning my trust in areas um, and that they needed to start loving me in areas that I needed love. That would be humbling as a, as a parent to, to have to acknowledge that and be like, we are going to do something different. And what I hear kind of was happening in that conversation is, Jacob, you were saying... I'm not feeling 
loved and there's not trust and and your parents were like uh, we do love you which they did yeah do totally um and here, here's evidence of, of our love, but there was there was a disconnect, mm-hmm. and so yes. this like we we do love you, but you're saying that you you don't feel loved. What's happening, and why why aren't you, because, why aren't you feeling loved? Because mm-hmm. we feel like we're doing the things that are you know we feed yeah. you, we clothe you, you have a house, you have, um, and maybe it was more um, emotional support. Absolutely, yes. yes, and and I think that's a really big gap for for parents and people understanding. Um, there, there is love, but, um, really understanding what does that even mean and what are our views on emotions? Right. What are our views on support? I support you. Look, I, yeah. I drive you places. It's <laughs> right. like, yeah. look, that's great, but I, I don't, I, I don't feel the, the kind of support. So we're not, it's, it could be a both and not either or. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we all are wired to, to feel loved in certain ways, and that kind of those five love languages that um, yeah. people talk about. And so that if you, and I've kind of even just noticed this with, I mean, Jeff and I had to learn that early on, even in our marriage, you sure. know, just that one of us feels loved in a certain, in a certain way that the other person, it's not that they don't feel it. It's just not as big of a deal. Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of the same way with emotions and being able to hold those someone else's emotions and I don't become those emotions, yeah. but I allow them to have them and it's okay. Yeah. And in the presence of, of me. Yeah. Yeah. Like other people can have them and, and it's okay. Like you don't have to, to take them on and to the same degree or, but you can enter in and understand and engage with them. Right. One thing I was thinking, you know, we're, we're talking about love, like you didn't feel loved, but in the, the first conversation that we had, we, we kind of started out and you, you made this quote about the world doesn't like me mm-hmm. and I don't like me either. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like your parents liked you? Like, like we like you, we like who you are. That's, that's a tough one. Um, there were, there were moments in my, in, in growing up where I really didn't feel like they liked me. Um, I, there were there were times when I felt maybe they liked me a little bit, but they definitely liked my siblings better than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that was that was really tough, um, especially because I I knew uh, I I felt in some way that I had to manufacture being a, a, a you know likability, and I could mm. do that at school. You know, mm-hmm. I could be funny, mm-hmm. I could be witty, um, I could be smart, these things I couldn't, I could just manufacture the ways for people to like me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I felt like time and time again, I failed at home for my parents to, mm. to like me. And not that they didn't, you know, encourage me, sure. you know, in certain, you know, in certain interests and things like that. But I, yeah, I felt like sometimes I just don't think they want me to be around. Sure. Um, and I think, I I don't think that's actually something we've ever talked about. Um, but for me, that became a realization, um, of a a slow process of they do Mm. like me. Mm. Um, but I, uh, 
we have different understandings of what liking somebody is sure. um, and what that means. We have different expectations mm-hmm. of what that is. Um, well, we had to, we had to know him first. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, wow. I mean, he's telling the truth. Yeah. Right. We loved him and yeah. loved him deeply yes. and wouldn't, you know, wouldn't have not wanted him to be a part of our family. Right. 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 But there right. he was difficult. Yeah. yeah. The, I am not someone who likes conflict. I mean, I run yeah. from conflict um, on a regular basis. And, <laughs> and he is all about conflict. Yeah. Mm. He wants things resolved and yeah. in a conflict um, sort of way. And so the arguing, I just didn't have a capacity to handle it. Mm. And so that was the, okay, you got to go somewhere else. I can't deal with this right now. Mm-hmm. And so that was the kind of unlikable, like I don't like that aspect. Mm-hmm. That translated as you don't like me as a person. Mm. And so when we were going through that um, kind of process of restoring our relationship, that's what we were finding out. Mm. We were getting to know him Um, as a person and which was changing. So even this awareness that I don't know my child. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know him. And I think for even the parents listening, there's sometimes we can have an assumption that, that we, that we know them, but do they feel known by us? Do they feel loved and liked and supported, um, beyond tangibles? Um, and yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think we often for, for a lot of aspects of life, we often feel like we know things because we know things about something, yeah, you know, sure. um, like it, you know, my parents knew that I liked theater. Yeah. You know, you know they knew like I liked art. So they, they, mm-hmm. they, they knew things about me, um, but I didn't feel known by them. And I think a huge part of that is I didn't feel safe being known mm-hmm. by them. And let's um, kind of explore this a little bit more. When you say I didn't feel known by them, mm-hmm. can you give us an example of what, like this might be like a foreign language to, to people, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally. Right. Like, like, yeah, I know that you love theater mm-hmm. and that, that was something known about you but what what are you actually like getting at how what would it have looked like to have felt known by them but what didn't they know yeah I I think it was um and, and, you know I still struggle with this all the time um but I think it's um I strongly desired to be to be loved unconditionally which I think all, all of us desire mm-hmm. yeah um, and um, I felt like there there were conditions on mm. the love um, and I didn't I didn't meet those conditions um, and what I what, what I what I wanted was to be um, was was for them to see me and know me and understanding uh, and, and, and understand me without these conditions so I felt like it was you know you know a specific example was um in in arguments I felt like I wasn't being listened to Mm. um it was like I and and oftentimes I would just get like actually volume level louder yeah because it was I want you to hear me you know I, I mean I mean just they are hearing me, you know, in terms of their ears. But like, mm-hmm. I just like, you're not understanding me. You're not seeing or hearing or knowing what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to tell you. Um, and I think it was because of the way that I was going about it, you know. So 
So the more you felt not heard or understood, the volume went up. So yeah. it's kind of like escalating. Yeah. Um, Which and, in turn makes yes. it so that we listen actually less. Yeah. yeah. And then here's like this volatile, more volatile uh, conflict, which Very maybe volatile. now, now yes. Darcy, you are kind of like shutting down. And it's, and it's everybody's in the pursuit of the same thing. Yeah. And but, when I shut down, he doesn't feel like I care about him. Yeah. Yep. So now we're in this. We're in a cycle. We're in a, we're in a cycle. Yeah. And not even aware that this is a cycle. Probably, <laughs> no. it's not like you're like, oh, let's go get on that hamster wheel because we have so much fun. <laughs> this is <laughs> let's go. No. Right, let's, and <laughs> we end up walking on eggshells. Yeah. Some of the time, not wanting to upset Jacob. Yeah. So and then I would not like the fact that they walked on eggshells because I want to be treated like a normal person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. Cycle. I mean, it was. It really was a vicious. And the cycle. the walking on eggshells was that because he would um get louder and escalate and and now there's anger and there's yes. um kind of this and part of it was um the undiagnosed um in the beginning the undiagnosed mm -hmm. mental illness that he didn't have control over yeah. mm -hmm. so he doesn't have control over whatever's going on in his brain mm -hmm. that when he's well we'll use the word triggered mm -hmm. um then the feelings are going out of his realm of being able to handle them himself sure and so while what he's feeling is valid, his its ability to communicate that um, was outside of his control. So yeah. that's where it was like a two-pronged thing when he yeah. was able to get the correct medication. So even this assumption that that you ha you have the capabilities to, to regulate and you're just choosing not to. Correct, which was what our thoughts were in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. which um, maybe... You're being defiant. You're, you're, yeah, like yes. you're choosing just to be defiant right. when... When there were other factors at play and yeah. an awareness th that brings compassion like there is other stuff at play that yes contributing um and um and that it's not always a choice he also was not feeling heard and i i know when i don't i think that's actually probably more common when people mm -hmm. aren't feeling heard we, we get louder, even yeah. though it's not a, like, I, they can hear. It's not me. an audio thing. Yeah, it's not an, <laughs> yeah. Right, it's not a, an audio thing. <laughs> right. But but I'm going to get louder because I want you to hear not my words, but what I'm saying. Yeah, my what heart. I, my heart, what, yeah. I'm, what I'm meaning. And that, it's just a skill. Yeah. It is it is a skill to, to listen to what people mean. And it w means mm. we have to slow the conversation down Um. I'm going to repeat you or paraphrase or yeah. am I understanding mm -hmm. um, kind of maybe a trajectory, which is really hard. It's And it means you have to stay regulated in yourself. Yeah. So even if someone else is not regulated, you have to figure out a way as a, as the parent to stay regulated. So this is interesting, Darcy, <laughs> <laughs> because we, we could focus on Jacob not being regulated, regulated, um, but, but I also am not always regulated. Yeah. I mean, I would say because I'm either shut down yeah. um, because I'm avoiding conflict or I'm actually putting my foot down. Yeah. So I would vacillate between the two. Yeah. Shut yeah. down. I can't handle this. Or if you just do what I said. Yeah then your life would be so much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. really I probably yeah. said those exact words. Yeah. Oh yeah. If you would do what I said, your <laughs> life would be better. And, and and really so would mine, right? Like it would yeah. come you come and, and essentially serve my kingdom, do it the way that yes. I want to do. Live yeah. in my peaceful world yeah. the way yeah. I want it. You're disrupting my peaceful world, <clears throat> which here's where the, the parent is bringing is contributing and sometimes I think that that we just don't 
see that, that we also, everybody needs work. We're all in process. We're all becoming, um, God is transforming everybody more and more into the image of Christ. Absolutely. And we're all being sanctified. Um, but if it's only the other person, then. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's so important to, you know, to keep in mind that, that this is a process of growth in both um, parents and the child. Mm-hmm. You know, I was growing and drawing nearer to them which means, yeah, you know, there were times when I had when, when I had to keep in mind, my mom shuts down when I get louder, mm-hmm. you know, and so 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 it was a process of me drawing nearer to her and she drawing nearer to me. So you also had to get to know her, and so there's there's a self awareness yeah. that we come to, but then also an others awareness, mm-hmm. and they didn't know me, but I didn't know them either. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, we were strangers. Yeah, and so now here's a commitment to I, I want to get to know to know you. Um, wow, that's that actually feels hopeful. Oh, absolutely. And it and it feels exciting. Yeah. And it it feels like okay, there's a a direction and a journey and a destination that we're heading to. Yeah, I think one of the things that is a that two-sided coin right is yes there was that year that we um that was so dark for the whole family mm-hmm. um because even the the civil you know everybody is affected yeah. um but it was also the start of new communication patterns um, that didn't change overnight no. i mean it was, this was a long process and it wasn't where all of a sudden now i have these new skills and boom everything's great Um, you know, the arguments would go from, you know, a couple hours to maybe an hour and a half and then down to an, you know, like it was a gradual process on both sides, but there was just this, wow, this works. Like these skills that I'm learning, this is the way. And then I would see as I read scripture and see Jesus and I'm like, that's, that's what he's doing. Mm, That's yeah, what yeah. he's, he's looking at somebody yeah. in the eye when he speaks to them. Yeah. He touches them. Wow. He moves closer wow. to them. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm reading scripture going, I've read these stories for yeah. my whole life and not actually seen that relational part of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's, um, it'd be easy just to be like, do it my way. But now we're seeing Jesus looked yeah. and he saw. Yeah. Mm. And he, he, he reached out and he touched. Like if we slow the story down about how he interacted with, with people. Um, but there's a hesitancy as a parent because that, that we don't want to always do that. Because I think maybe are we afraid that we're going to enable or like why weren't, maybe I'll ask a question. Why, why didn't you do that before? Well, there's a threat to my authority. Um, I am the parent. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I could wrap my brain around the fact that there's, um, the reason why I feel like my authority is being threatened because I have the right, I'm the parent now mm-hmm. is that there were times when I didn't feel listened to growing up, mm. that there was a way that things had to be done. Well, my personality mm. is just to go along. So that's why I wasn't the Jacob and that's in the yeah. scenario of my family. You you kind of had a similar experience. Maybe you weren't always heard 
but you're coping or the way you responded or handled, I just go along. Yes. Jacob's not doing the same thing. He's no. not just going along. He's he's right. doing something different. And you're like, no, that's not how you do it. You just go along. Right. Because now I'm the parent. It's yeah. my turn. Yeah. And now you're experiencing, <laughs> yes, it's my turn. It's, yeah. And you're experiencing your limitations yeah. in, in an inability to make him just come along yep. and, and just, um, I, I can't make you do something or think something or feel something in the way that, that I want you to. And so, yeah, I think I've, I've talked to a lot of parents who, um, have a hard time grasping that if you just don't do X, Y, and Z, then your kid will follow and do what they're, they've done, you know, that mm-hmm. they're supposed to do. Yeah. And, um, until you come across and you have a child who says no, mm-hmm. and, um, you realize how little power you actually have yeah. in that, in that. And so we think we're giving up power. And yet the idea is you do have it as the parent, you do have the authority and you have the power. But if you, when you facilitate trust in that relationship, then when you, we call it sharing power mm. or giving that person the ability to speak mm. and to have their own thoughts and their own feelings, yeah. um, then you're t- actually teaching them to be a more healthy a- adult when they are older. So kind of what you're saying is the way we steward our power in a way that um, honors the other person mm-hmm. and humanizes them and sharing power, like we don't have to hoard it. I can actually use my power to make to give you power to have your own thoughts and shepherd you in, in validating and honoring your emotions and... Um, which is which is which is perfectly imaged in Christ. I think I think a lot of people, you know, uh, read certain passages about the life of Christ as, as, as you know as though he gave up all power. Mm. Um, and it's Christ had the authority um, um, as God, um, but he he wielded his power correctly. Yeah, he he shepherded um, his people um, by by yeah, sharing his power you know when you look at him with the woman at the well um he's giving her a a voice Mm. there he's he's stepping towards her and she's stepping towards him it's you know it it's not that he's giving up all power as god it's that he's giving people power to be people Mm -hmm. you know he's humanizing them um and so yeah as as human parents and children we have that opportunity you know parents have the opportunity to still maintain authority but use it in a way that empowers their children and children have the opportunity to draw nearer to their parents mm-hmm. um while while still giving their parents the authority to be parents yeah it's reminding me of the, the passage that talks about like um the gentiles use their power and they lord it over yep. others but not so with you yeah, absolutely and, and there's this whole other Okay, what does that even mean? How does that functionally? How do mm. we bring it from this abstract? Okay, I'm not going to use my power to lord over, um, to to what does that mean? How does that functionally play out in relationship with children? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'll just you know, so I have two boys. The older two are two boys. Um, obviously, there's other. There's two others, but Sean and Jacob shared a room, and they're about sixteen and a half months apart. Mm. So they're. They have to live in this room together and basically duke it out, yep. right? Um, so there's lots of opportunities for arguments and <laughs> taking somebody something or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Well, as someone who needs to keep the authority in that situation, mm-hmm. it's um, more telling the child, the boys, okay, you took that from your brother, give it back, and that's the end of the story. Mm. You're supposed to share, so share. And it's more like my dictating of the mm. way this is, this is going to play out, and you're going to be happy about it because that's the mm. way it has to be. And, and you will even be affected this way. Yes. And, and the way that you'll be affected by me telling you what to do is that you will be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, this is that's how I function my, in life. <laughs> this yeah. is my plan for you, and it's a great and wonderful it's, it's, plan. It's a great, wonderful plan. So get on board. Yeah. Whereas if I'm sharing, we call it sharing power. It, it um, the of saying more of first investigating maybe what brought that on, mm. but then also allowing that child to express that frustration yeah. that someone grabbed something yeah. or expressing the frustration that someone won't share mm-hmm. and just saying, you know what, you're right. That is really frustrating. And I'm yeah. sorry you're having to deal with that right now. Yeah. And just giving them, um, the other word I guess is agency. Yes. It, it, giving them that agency of feeling those feelings the freedom to be affected and i'm not going to fix those feelings yeah those are your feelings to have they're valid and that actually what we don't realize is that actually enables him to feel them and then to turn around and be okay wow yeah whereas the opposite instead of you need to deny those feelings or not acknowledge them that actually kind of gets them stuck yes right where it's like yeah it is frustrating if somebody takes something or it's disappointing that that person won't share. And now I'm feeling a feeling that's disappointment or frustration. I'm empowered and I have agency now to feel that emotion mm-hmm. and um, what can I do with it going, like I, I'm empowered to how I, it's my responsibility what I do with it and how I. Absolutely. And that's even learning um, in life, there's going to be disappointments. There's going to be frustrations. And if, the focus is on the other person changing. We're going to feel powerless. Mm-hmm. Or if we make other people responsible for our emotions, we're going to feel powerless. Mm-hmm. And so and, I like that word agency. And yeah. kids are over the top, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when they <laughs> yeah. react to stuff. Yeah. yeah. Jacob was often just kind of over the top in the way he reacted to stuff. And what I didn't realize at the time was that he, there was that learning process of him really regulating. And if I had started with, um, allowing him to feel those feelings, mm. then over time he wouldn't have had to be as much over the top. But maybe some, some people are just wired that way yeah. and they they feel outwardly yeah. more so than inwardly. And allowing someone to do that builds trust. Yeah. Even if we feel like it's over the top, yeah. that it's okay because it's yeah. their emotions and we're not in their body feeling what they're feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, I think we subconsciously make assessments and there's this rubric and, right. and then we, we assess it as, as bad or not good versus how did, how did they get there? What, right? Like this person just outwardly expresses or emotes. Um, and so maybe that's just there, but now they're not feeling heard. Mm-hmm. And now they're, um, you know, it, it seems like it's an overdramatic response to something that's small, but um, there's all this other stuff that's, actually in play yeah and um you know uh, years of not feeling heard mm-hmm. that that's it might, might come out in kind of a small a small moment this this is what always happens yeah I want to kind of shift the conversation a little bit to the church mm. and um you know because we've covered a lot of stuff like 
and especially in the first um, conversation we had, cutting, mm-hmm. um, sexuality, mm-hmm. mental health, and um, now like parenting and that relationship. Where does the church do well, and where mm-hmm. can the church grow? And when I say church, I'm talking about believers, those Absolutely. who those who claim Christ. Where you know what has what is helpful, what what would you want people to to kind of know? What have you gleaned? How can we learn from you? Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, um, I, I I think uh, the youth of the, of the of the body of Christ don't um, don't 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 get spoken to enough about issues of 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 this magnitude and yeah. seriousness. Um, and I feel that if I, and, and, and I understand that, um, there are topics that we feel uncomfortable sharing with children. Um, but I, you know, I, I started dealing with stuff at such a young yeah. age. Sixth grade. Yeah. And even earlier, probably, but. Oh yeah. And, and I, and I feel like if, if, um, the church were able to, um, provide resources um, and and teaching uh, on on these topics um, really young um, really young I, I don't really know what that is I'm not um, but um, yeah providing resources um, when people are young so that when they are um, going through things they have the opportunity to reach out but also giving those resources in in a in a, in a culture um, w- without shame you know that if you're dealing with this that is a part of life and we want to be here for you while you're going through that um, not if you're dealing with this then you're you know uh, then lost cause you know um, so a culture without shame. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning like how, how that functionally plays out is we're glad that you're here. Yep. We're sad that, that you're suffering and experiencing this and we want to help. And Absolutely. we may not always do it, do it the best, but maybe it is a referral or mm-hmm. hospital or medication or totally. counseling or, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think what I'm, I'm kind of thinking is there's, well, go go to the hospital or go see counseling can be done in a shameful way. Absolutely, absolutely. And we want to do it in a non-shameful way. Yeah, we we, we want to give people um, the opportunity. We we, we want to give people information um, and um, uh, and the availability to um, get treatment, get help, um, with without feeling like um, the fact that you have to do this in the first place is bad. Yeah. You know, this is bad inherently. Right. I I think, I think that's where so much of the stigma plays out is that, um, I mean, so like even in my family unit, I'm the only one who has to, you know, how has have to go to the hospital that can feel shaming. Sure. But if we put it in a light of my siblings have also had to, you know, get, you know, different types of help in their, in their own ways that I haven't had Mm -hmm. to get, um, my, my form of help plays out in a vastly different way. Um, but seeking out help is never a bad mm-hmm. thing. It should never be a bad thing. Um, and so, yeah, we should, we should encourage people to get 
help, the proper help, yeah. and not shame them for it. Because it's God's provision. Absolutely. Right? Here's this banquet of resources and help that we don't have to be, um, it, it doesn't have to be a shameful thing that I'm, I'm utilizing a provision of God, yeah. um, whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's evidence of his care, that he has provided a way, and, and we don't um, have to suffer unnecessarily mm-hmm. because we're, we're not choosing um, the help or the resources. Absolutely. What has the, yeah, t- talk more about kind of just the, the church, the culture, the approach that would be, was it uh, helpful or, or things that maybe even were said and done that weren't helpful or added to the shame on either side of the coin? I think that um, something that, um, I mean, just to bring it into like really practical, like our specific church context, I think something that we have done as Redemption Gateway that has been extremely helpful. I mean, I grew up in this church. Sure. Um, is that um, we, it, it, as I've grown up, I've watched this place build resources. Mm. Um, there are so many people that um, I know that go to churches where um, they couldn't get resources for this kind of thing. Um, so I think some, something that is very exciting um, is that we have built a culture here of when we see that there is an opportunity for growth, we want to take it yeah. um, and we want to build on it. Um, we want to figure out a way to get people the help that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is, you know, an, you know, an encouragement to the church, but also an encouragement to the um, to uh, people needing help that this is a culture that you can come to your leaders. You can come mm. to your, you know, your pastors and say, I need help in this area. Um, and that this is, uh, you know, a culture of, okay, let's get you the resources that you need because we, you know, we love you and we want you to get the, you know, yeah. the right help. And I think inherently in that is an awareness, even on the, the leaders part of the churches, there's things that we are not equipped. Totally. And because we're not equipped, we, we don't want to do more harm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. and so we, we want to walk with, we don't want to just say, um, you know, here, here's a referral Right, you know, you know, whatever yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah. We, we also want to walk walk well within our capabilities, capacity, training, equipping, um, and I think it's moving towards people. So absolutely. it's um, someone comes on campus anywhere, and you know that they're going through something difficult. You don't have to stand there and investigate. You don't have to be their counselor, but you can just come up and um, give them a hug and say hi and Mm. um, greet them and talk for a few minutes just about life and so that they know that they're seen. And um, if you have the opportunity to talk with them or pray with them about something difficult, then definitely do that. But it doesn't always mean, oh, they're going through that. Well, we'll just let them be. Because yeah. that's because I'm 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 the kind of person who generally feels like I want people to leave me alone if I'm going through something, and that's yeah. more because I don't feel like I have the capacity to handle it myself. So to talk about it is not something that's easy, but that's the way in which I've grown is knowing that sharing the burden with somebody else, even though it feels like you're burdening someone else, mm-hmm. that other people usually want to be burdened because yeah. um, mm-hmm. they love you. Yeah. And it relieves some of your own burden. 
um, that you're carrying is if you share it with somebody and they have the opportunity to care for you and they have the opportunity to pray for you and give you a hug and maybe text you in the middle of the week or call you or, you know, um, it doesn't have to be full on counseling. Yeah. Um, in the, at the kind of everyday life, it can just be moving in closer. And then if you do have the opportunity to um, encourage them to get counseling or encourage them to meet with someone or say, hey, I do know we have someone on staff who you can talk to, encourage them in that way. Um, then that's just the body of Christ being the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. And um, that's how we, because some people are just not going to ask for meals. They're not yeah. going to ask for help. So when we move in closer and we talk to people, we can advocate for them if we know they're not someone who's going to advocate for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and especially, you know, if we, if we're going to, you know, be honest and, you know, say that we're, we're trying to build a, you know, a better culture, then that needs to start really young that, you know, our culture, uh, our, our culture in our church needs to, uh, you know, be very, very positive towards our children, mm -hmm. um, towards our youth, because yeah, you know, you, you know, um, just like, um, adults, children are also very rarely going to just walk up to somebody and ask like, Hey, I'm going through something. Can you <laughs> yeah, help me with yeah, that? Yeah, you yeah. know, like that, that's a hypothetical scenario that doesn't really that doesn't happen. Really happen. That, that, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, you know, um, kids but every will... child who is kind of that problem child, it's not like they don't know it. Yeah. No. They know it. Yeah. Um, they, and, um, to be that child, you're going to, they're going to be that child in Sunday school. They're going to be that child, um, in youth group, they're going to be that child at school and they have to live in with that. And so pressing in even to those kids and Having getting adults to, to know come them alongside yeah. them and show them unconditional positive regard is yeah. so important. And I, yeah. I think in order for us to do that, well, we need to, there's education, like education and training. Absolutely. And Darcy, this is kind of like what you you've done. You've gotten a lot of training um, the Karen Purvis, is it Karen Purvis? Karen Purvis, yeah, and David and Cross, and the Connected Child. The connected Child. They started a trust-based relational intervention, which um, I went and got licensed to train. Yeah, so you've become yeah. a resource yeah. to, to us yourself, like, <laughs> you know, for uh, just using it in your, in your family in the way that you relate, but then also offering it um, that we can we can grow, we can be equipped. It's Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't want it just to be this nebulous, okay, yes, like, no, there's... We need skills. Absolutely. We need to be to be trained in it. One thing I was um, thinking about was this being known. And mm -hmm. I think this is um, true of everybody. Mm -hmm. Is if I'm fully known, will I be fully loved? Mm -hmm. Or will I be fully liked? Mm -hmm. And if, if you know me, will you like me? Mm -hmm. If you know me, will you love me? And so there, there's, th that there's parts of me that I think, are, and I think this is true, that aren't lovable. But that doesn't mean I'm not lovable, right? Mm -hmm. Or I'm not likable. But to the awareness that yes, there are parts that, and that that's what, um, as we become more and more like Christ, as as God is transforming us, mm -hmm. He's purifying us, right? Like we're, yeah. And, and and this and this process of growth needs to be done with just a, just a massive amount of grace. Yeah. Um, as as parents are going on this journey with their children, and children going on this journey with their parents. You know, um, parents need to understand that, you know, their kid doesn't really understand a lot of what they're going through. Um, and so they need mm. to give their kids a massive amount of mm -hmm. grace. Mm -hmm. But also, I've had to show my parents a ton of grace as well. Um, mm 
you know, you know mm-hmm. <laughs> what one of the one of the ways I've said is like this is my this is my parents' first time raising me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they That's have, so great. They have never raised me before. Um, <laughs> and, you know. I, like, that, I need a redo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, my parents, like like so many parents started young. Mm-hmm. They've never parented before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, their only model for parenting comes from their own parents with their parents' own problems. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, as a kid, um, yeah, showing your parents a massive amount of grace mm. is that, yeah, your parents are going to mess up. I mean, one of the things that breaks my heart is when my mom says that she wishes she could go back and, you know, and redo stuff Mm -hmm. is that, um, as much as she wishes she could do that, um, our story, the fact that we're sitting here at a table together, Mm. um, is a testament to the fact that she didn't need to go back and redo stuff to become a perfect parent. Um, is that both of us need to give each other the opportunity, Mm. um, to, to be sanctified in the Lord, to come together, wow. and to forgive each other, wow. um, and to yeah, and to work together. I, I, our God is all about recreation. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And there have been moments when my mom and I have been truly able to recreate our relationship. Wow. Yep. Wow. Yep. And it has been so life giving. There's yep. so much hope. Like I literally have, have the chills. No matter where you are at this moment, we have the, the opportunity to recreate this. Absolutely is always there. Mm-hmm. And no matter what age the child is, like at this moment, we can't change the past, mm-hmm. but the past doesn't have to determine the future. Mm-hmm. And and we can um, acknowledge, and I think even uh, evaluate the past experiences. Absolutely. What what did we do? Why didn't that work? What happened? And now we know um, with, with more wisdom or intelligence or what we can do differently going forward. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes we're like, okay, let's just do it differently. But to acknowledge... What are we going to do differently? Why? Where do I need to grow? Um, and and how do I get the resources to help me grow? It's not it's not an individual project. It's it's there's community. There's resources mm-hmm. to help um, people on the outside helping to say this is, um, it, yeah, yeah. And I I do want to mention though. I mean, it has been such a blessing that even going through all of this, um, Jacob has always affirmed his his faith in the Lord. And that is not a blessing to be understated. Mm. Um, but I do want to mention there's a lot of parents who are having s- similar difficulties and their children are, have not professed faith. Yeah. And so you, there's, um, it can feel like, well, that's good for you. Yeah. Um, but there is a sense in which we are asked to push into the way Christ has asked us to be in relationship with people, even when they um, aren't believers. And a lot of our kids aren't. They're just, they're too young. They don't have enough life experience. They, they need to own their own lives before they can make those decisions. And, but it doesn't mean that we can't use some of the skills and things that we can learn to be better parents, to know our kids really well and to love them where they're at and um, to show them who Jesus is through our relationship and how we relate to them specifically. And, um, and recognizing that this is God's story that he's writing. It's his story. Mm. We're in that story and he's writing something in us, but he's also writing something in our kids that Lord willing, he will save um, their kids and, Mm. It'll be for his glory, not for our own, 
mm-hmm. and their sin is not for our shame. Yeah, it is all just part of growing up and learning and growing together. But there is still hope in the relationship, even with kids who are struggling with um, these things and behaviors, even if they're not believers. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I can say right now. I mean, you could probably guess, listening to part one, that I um, that I have had a really difficult faith journey, and there were times when, yeah, I didn't. Uh, you know, always know where my faith stood, but I definitely wouldn't be in the place where I am right now in my faith with, with, with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That uh, without without parents who were committed to their relationship with me, mm. um, that you know, in a way, they have grown in imaging the Father to me, which is we are committed to being with you, and th- they were committed in a way of um, personal growth. Absolutely. And I think that's a big distinction. Mm-hmm. And one thing that you said, Darcy, about um, imaging Christ through relationship. And sometimes mm-hmm. I think we just say words, but the experience, you know, I could be like, Christ loves you and he died for you. Yeah. And that person feels unseen, unheard, mm-hmm. shamed. And yeah. so there's incongruent experience with the words. And and we can give that um, relational living out experience and how actually more powerful that is. Like Jesus yeah. saw, he looked, he touched, he had, he, he had compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, like, like I was saying before is, um, you know, when people hear, I love you or I trust you, um, there's often the, you know, the subconscious, sometimes even conscious thought of, but there are conditions to that. Yeah. Yeah. You love me, but you, but, but there are conditions to that. Um, and that's, you know, part of the human experience, yeah. you know, there, there, sadly, there are conditions to mm-hmm. our love. Um, but as, you know, as followers of Christ, we're called to become more and more like the father, more and more like Christ. And he is, um, uh, a God without conditions on his mm-hmm. love. Um, and so, um, yeah, we, we have the ability with the empowering work of the Holy spirit to become people who, um, have less and less conditions on our on our love so that when we say to people, Jesus loves you, um, we can say it in a way where that person is assured um, that that love doesn't have conditions on mm-hmm. it. Wait a minute. You do love me. And mm-hmm. it's not you love me who you want me to be. It's you love me for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, as we wrap up, I want to ask, is there anything else that you're thinking of? You're like, oh, yeah, there's this this one other thing I wanted to say or you think it would be helpful for people to know? Yeah, I think one final thing is um, uh, I'm a Bible college student, so I have to mm-hmm. say something theological. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but the, the, the doctrine of Imago Dei, which is the, you know, the image of God, um, is that I think it is so important to everyone listening um, that you are an image of God. Um, and that because of that, you are under what's called common grace. Mm-hmm. You have the, um, that the, that the, that the Lord has his provision over you, that he's watching out for you. Um, and so, um, as you listen to all these things, whether you're a parent or a child or someone just listening, um, that you have the ability to work through, um, these things under the, under the grace of God, mm. um, you know, realizing that you are his child, that you are, um, 
you are his image mm. um, so that, you know, you can become a person who is loved unconditionally um, and who can also love unconditionally. Mm. That's hope, hope filled. Yeah. Here's, here's a trajectory. Here's a direction. And it speaks a lot to the character of God. It is the core and, of our faith. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's very hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I would maybe just issue maybe kind of a, a challenge and um, especially to parents of teenagers who are struggling. And that is um, to not assume that it's their responsibility to live in your world. Mm. But um, if there are resources and books or people you can talk to um, that can help you navigate and draw closer to them and develop an actually um, a good relationship, trusting relationship that um, that it will pay dividends later. Um, that fast forwarding, you know, ten years and they're out of the house. Do you do you foresee the way they are now? Is it something where they're going to move out and never want to come back, or is it something where? when they move out, they're going to want to call you. And Mm -hmm. so if you're looking for that kind of relationship where they want to come back and you want them to come back um, and enjoy time together, that it's not ever too late. Mm -hmm. They may already be out of the house. It's not too late to learn and to grow and to kind of figure out what that kind of looks like and how, um, you can grow and change and to help facilitate that more kind of that loving, trusting relationship. And it takes longer um, the older we get just because we're kind of set in our ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. And mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit is in the, in the, the business of changing hearts mm. and um, trusting that if you move in, in the direction, um, I kind of, that's kind of what we did is I learned new skills and I moved in that direction mm. and Holy Spirit changed my heart mm. um, so that it then became the way it was as opposed to constantly having to think about it. Now I'm still learning, still moving in that directions. There's always a new direction to move in that yeah. is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's just the way we are in a broken world, but um, that it is possible. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking about um, even for the, the parent, their part of the journey is also the, learning to deal with disappointment mm-hmm. and fear. Yeah. yeah. And th- there's things that aren't happening that I wanted to, or there's things at risk. If, if I don't do this, this might not happen. But even if you do do it, it, it might happen. And so being able to identify what am I afraid of, what am I disappointed, acknowledging those feelings, acknowledging our limitation, getting new skills, um, and letting, letting God really meet us there and he'll meet our kids in the way that, Everybody needs to, um, and he's not absent from the equation. Not only is he not absent, he's involved intimately, and yeah. um, it's great hope. Thank you, guys. I want to just give a personal thank you for your vulnerability and the things that you, you even say um, in front of each other, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah. just, and just, you didn't get here. It, you know, I, I do want to say to the listeners, like, they didn't just get here, like, hey, 
there's a lot of work. So it's a long yeah. process. It's yeah. a long process. And so I'm 21 um, years old. This is a 21 year process. Yeah. <laughs> we, yes. We've gone through. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, um, what hope though, that, that there's, you know, I didn't, maybe 10 years ago, you would never even imagine one day we would be able to sit and, and talk in this way and right. with, with such right. patience and grace and honor for, for each other. I've even just really appreciated, um, the, the tone and the honor that you have given each other. And it's just been such an honor and a privilege for me to, to listen and, and learn and glean from you guys. So thank you very much. Thank yeah. you so much for having Welcome. us. Yeah. All right. Until later. <laughs> <laughs>